0: Last week, Kyle began our new series uh, that we're doing basically for Advent, and we'll, we'll continue it into the new year. Um, it's a familiar series, I think, to uh, any of you who have been in Christian circles for any period of time. You've probably heard a, a Bible study series or a, a sermon series on the I Am statements of Jesus. Uh, last week, Kyle covered Jesus as the, the bread of life, and uh, today we're going to be looking at John chapter 8, uh, Jesus' is that. He's the light of the world. Uh, I think it's, uh, it's a good to do this series now, not only because of how it focuses on the relevance of the nativity. Um, we're not just celebrating the birth of a baby, but the coming of a king. Uh, but it's also good to do the series on the heels of our uh, summer and fall series that we were calling You Are. So the Bible defines us and gives us an identity. It also reveals uh, who God is and helps us understand his identity as well. So I'm gonna read verses 12 through 20 in John chapter eight. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself and the father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Let me pray for us. Lord, would you send the light and revelation of your Holy Spirit to us and illumine our hearts and enlighten our eyes so that we can see Jesus more clearly. We pray this uh, for your glory and our good. In his name we pray, amen. All right, well, let me just start off by directing your attention to the, the front of the bulletin. You know, I'm always Putting an image on there just to try to give us some clues as to what we're thinking about and what we're trying to communicate. Uh, I want to show the slides too, as, as well, if I may. So, yeah, this is the uh, the engraving that uh, that I chose because you know we're talking about um, well, it's Advent, so we want to focus on Christmas, of course. But but Jesus is the light of the world, and have you ever noticed that with a lot of these nativity scenes, whether they're in you know traditional or classical artistic you know, genres, or or even more modern ones on greeting cards and um, nativity plays and so on. But there's always like this light that's showing, right? So here you've got this spotlight, this beam of light shining down on the baby Jesus, and you know Mary's trying to shield him from the blinding light, right? So, so he doesn't hurt his eyes. Now um, this is the the star, right? That's leading the the magi, presumably. They don't get there until a couple of years later, actually. But the, the artist is struggling to show us that when Jesus came, he came as the light of the world. And some artists will do that with this, you know, heavenly spotlight kind of, kind of thing going on. The next slide shows you two other engravings. One, you may recognize uh, Gustav Dore. He did a ton of uh, engravings that are beautiful. Uh, Old Testament and New Testament scenes, but there's the Nativity again. Um, that's got a nice roof you know over, over the Holy Family there um, in that version. So there's no spotlight coming down, but where's the light coming from? It's coming from bioluminescent Jesus. Um the baby Jesus glowing, you know uh, and and he's showing giving this light off to everybody around him. Same for the one on the right that I, I don't know that artist, but I thought it kind of captures that same theme of glowing Jesus, the light of the world, uh, you know this baby that everybody's coming to see because man, you're Mary, I don't know if you've noticed, but your kid is glowing. Um, and it's the struggle of the artist to depict what is uh, such a broad concept all throughout scripture um, so so they 're taking some license visually, just like you know all these nativity scenes that are showing the magi with the shepherds and you know with this newborn baby well that 's a little bit off, so are the Victorian barns that we see those are a little off too, but we give them they, we give them credit they 're doing their best to to show us this picture of the of, of Advent um The struggle is real because of all of the multi-layered meaning of of what Jesus is saying when he declares that he's the light of the world. Ears pricked. People people chimed in, you know, their attention, you know, was zeroed in again when they heard Jesus say that because it, it triggered all of these recollections and all these references in God's word as to... So God's revelation um, of, of the light on uh, the gospel of John begins with an Old Testament sort of creation, Genesis 1 illusion. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. word was with God. And, and then you get to verse 9 and John's beginning in his prologue, and he says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And then Jesus shows up and he says, you know, eight chapters later, I'm the light of the world. Um, what does that mean? Well, it can mean a lot of things, but we're just gonna do a quick survey. In the Old Testament, God's light, um, re- you know first thing that maybe comes to mind is revelation, right? Uh, some of you remember the, the old song, thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path, right? That comes from Psalm 119, verses 105. Uh, and that's a specific reference to the light of God's revelation. When Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, he's basically saying, I am, the, I am the God's, I'm God's revelation before you. I'm the light of that revelation standing in front of you. And so ears are pricking and they're going, what do you mean? There's another way that you can understand light as, as God's people would, would have a grid for this. They're hearing Jesus saying, I am God's protection among you. Uh, in Micah. Chapter 7, the, the prophet says, Rejoice not over me, my enemy, when I fall, I shall rise when I sit in darkness. The Lord will be a light to me. The, the Lord is his shield, his fortress, his protector, and his light in a dark place. And so, you know, all these ears are pricking and their, you know, their grids are going off. Going, Jesus is saying, He is God's protection among us, he's God's revelation. He's God's protection. He's God's provision. God's provision in Psalm 18 says, it is you who light my lamp, O Lord, my God, lightens my darkness. So when we're out of oil, you're you know, out of juice, you know, your battery goes out or whatever, it's in a sense, we're looking to God to be that provision for what we lack. And if you're in darkness and you need light and you can't see what you're doing, man, you're glad for the light. And however that's provided, and God saying, I am that source of your provision. Jesus is saying with that same authority, I am God's provision among you. I am what you've been praying for. I am that revelation, I am that protection, I am that that provision. Lastly, think about just God's salvation. Psalm 27, beautiful Psalm. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? You know, there's some overlap with the whole protection theme there. But salvation, like being saved from peril, saved from death, saved from condemnation, saved from shame, saved from all the effects of sin. And for Jesus to stand in front of these people and say, I am the light of the world. I am your hope for everything that the saints have have looked toward and how God has communicated his presence, his provision, his protection, his revelation, his salvation. Jesus is saying, I embody that. It's a remarkable statement, right? That's why the, the Pharisees are, are prompted in verse 13. They're like the, the theological police, the truth police. And they're going, wait a minute, You're, what are you saying? Right? You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. This can't be true. This is crazy talk. And I'll, I'll explain why in a second. But Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true my father bears witness about this and if you knew him you would understand that i am telling you the truth and you know you would have eyes to see you would have ears to hear um, that's that's probably another sermon but just for now let's let's acknowledge that the pharisees kind of have a reason to be upset can we validate their concern they're they're like their, their pause button like wait a minute for you you know and and jesus is standing before them and he from their vantage point, just seems like any other ordinary human being. He's not parting the Red Sea. He's not doing any miracles. He's not doing anything supernatural. He's just speaking and making this preposterous claim to be the fulfillment of God's revelation, protection, provision, and salvation, among other things. And they're going, wait a minute. We're we're spiritually in, responsible for, for this community, these people, and and we need to kind of take you to task, Jesus. How can he call himself the light of the world? How can he not only describe himself as the light of the world, but he uses this prefix, this prologue in his statement, I am? And they're going, they're going nuts in their heads because that is a direct allusion to, de- to deity, God's I am declaration to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus three. So let me me use this light motif to explain that that coming into God's kingdom is like moving from one existence to another. Uh, We call uh, the animals that come out at night, nocturnal animals, right? I, I call my neighbor who works third shift. He's nocturnal, my nocturnal neighbor. Uh, those are the people that come out at night. Do you know what the, what the rest of us are who hang out in the daytime, what they call us? What's the opposite of, of nocturnal? You know the antonym? All right, fun vocabulary word, diurnal. I didn't know it. Anyway, uh, you can be nocturnal or diurnal and diurnal is of the day. Diurnal is, the, is everybody that's existing in the daytime, in the light and the kingdom of God is, is diurnal. So you can impress your friends, maybe in your Christmas cards, you know, may God's diurnal kingdom be with you. Anyway, um, why do we say this? Well, the promises of the kingdom of God in the future, in Revelation, give us a vision of a a daytime kingdom. Listen to Revelation 22. Uh, No longer will there be anything accursed, no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Night will be no more. Because of The presence of God's eternal, unending light. No more need of a lamp or of the sun. Uh, One chapter earlier in 21, verse 23, Revelation says that the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb. Okay, true confession. I love the promise of no more curse, no, no more death, no more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sin. Those are all beautiful and good. But no more night, I kind of go, huh. Who doesn't love a starry night? Who doesn't love, like I live in Fishersville, so we don't have the street lights, we've got a little less light pollution. Who doesn't love going out on a full moon you know, I'm walking the dogs, taking them out and I see my shadow and you know, it's dark and it's night but there's a shadow and there's the moon and it's bright and it's just cool. This is a cool thing. Or who doesn't love a new moon when there's no moon, right? And it's dark as dark can be, no shadow, no, you know you're straining to see anything. But the Milky Way is crystal clear and it's beautiful. And I go, there's no more night. In the kingdom of God, I go, huh, I'm not sure how that sits with me. But here's what I also know. We can't get hung up on the, the particulars because the promise fundamentally isn't so much about, hey, there's no more sun or there's no more moon or whatever. But, but I want you to think about that. It says there's no more night, but it also says there's no more sun. We don't need the sun anymore. So you don't have the typical daytime. You don't have the typical nighttime. There's something brand new. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what that experience is going to be like. I just know it's going to be infinitely and eternally satisfying beyond any experience of gazing at the Milky Way or seeing a full moon and all that splendor. It's going to be exponentially beyond that. So we don't have to worry, but I just kind of go, that's weird. But Revelation's promising something far more transformative than just no more night. Revelation's also saying, you know, that God's going to be our light. Night is defined as the absence of the sun, you know, during the day. It's, there's no more sun in the sky, so it must be night. So apparently the sun will be no more during the day too. And so the point is that God's light is always with us. It will, it will always be day. We will always have his presence, always have his revelation, his protection, his salvation, his provision. Those Things that the Old Testament saints were hoping in will be ours forever. So when Jesus <laughs> steps onto the world stage and announces that he's the light of the world, he's making a remarkable declaration. Just given that whole scope of you know, Old Testament to Revelation, Jesus is saying, in effect, I'm greater than the moon, I'm greater than the sun, I am God's light incarnate. I am God. He's standing in front of people claiming divinity. And can't you give the Pharisees a little bit of credit for going, no. No way. But it's true. Who can possibly say such a thing? God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And Jesus says, that's me. Listen to John Stott. I'm I'm hoping to kind of bring you up to the edge so that when uh, those of us who have, I don't know how many advents you've lived through, but you just kind of go, yeah, I know this story. It's nice and it's sweet and it's sentimental. I love the songs and I love the poinsettias and the decorations, but we miss just how radical Christmas is. How preposterous the statement of Jesus is unless it's true. Listen to John Stott. He says that the most striking feature of the teaching of Jesus is that he was constantly talking about himself. Do you, you notice that? Jesus is constantly pointing to himself. The self-centeredness of the teaching of Jesus immediately sets him apart from the other great religious teachers of the world. They were self-effacing. Jesus was self-advancing they pointed people away from themselves saying, this is the truth, you know, as far as I can perceive it, follow it. Or this is the light, as far as I can perceive it, you know, follow it. But Jesus said, I am the truth, follow me. I am the light, follow me. He's talking about himself. Pointing to himself, Stott continues, the founder of none of the ethnic religions ever dared to say such a thing. The personal pronoun forces itself repeatedly on our attention as we read his words. You know, Kyle last week talking about Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever feeds on me, whoever believes in me will never thirst. Like that personal, first person pronoun, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Next week, we'll talk about, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, he shall live. Who talks like that? Unless it's true. Stott concluded those remarks saying that entry into the kingdom of God depends on people's response to him. Again, just wrapping up with some of these Old Testament allusions that people are, are, their grid, their concept for Jesus saying he's the light of the world takes them back to God's people when they left Egypt, right? There's the Red Sea deliverance, and then they're out in the wilderness, and now what? They've got nothing. They don't have any food. They don't have any shelter. They don't have any water. They don't have any protection. They don't, you know, again, those themes of revelation, provision, protection, salvation come from God who leads them with this pillar of his presence. It it's, looks like a cloud during the day, and what's it look like at night? It's this pillar of fire giving light. Um, one of the prophets, Nehemiah, reflects on that. Talks about God's people in the wilderness were doubtful and they were, they were unbelieving and they, they complained about, you know, they don't have enough food, they don't have water, they don't know what they're going to do. It was better to go back to Egypt and die there than to die out in the wilderness. And yet God is patient with them. So says, even when they had made themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt, and had committed great blasphemies, God and his great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. A pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. And Isaiah kind of says some similar things. I will lead the blind, think spiritually blind, in a way that they do not know. In past they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light. What's astounding is that Jesus came into the world not just to give us light, like, hey, I've got some extra photons you know, to, to bless you with or whatever. No, what he did was far more radical. Um, he came in not just to give us light, but to trade places with us. The light of the world stepped onto the world stage and took on the darkness of our sin, of our doubt, of our shame, of our hatred, of our bigotry, of our prejudice, of our sexism, of all of these things that contribute to the darkness that we experience. Jesus took all those on himself on the cross and traded places with us. He experienced that darkness of condemnation and guilt so that we could have the light of God's revelation, protection, provision, salvation. It's like we get calls this time of year, you know, as we move into the winter uh, at the office from people who need help with bills. They can't pay their electric bill. You know, they're getting the cutoff order. Their lights are going to be cut off unless they can, you know, get help paying this bill. And We can't pay the bill. We're bankrupt. We we don't have the moral and spiritual resources to turn the lights on. But Jesus paid the bill for us. And he turned on the light of God's blessing, the light of God's approval, the light of God's love and acceptance for us. That's what he was doing on the cross. And the light of the world comes to us, and he doesn't, you know, just say, hey, look, you know, I'm here if you need me. Um, you know, otherwise, you know, God bless you on your merry way. He says, follow me. So Israel in the, in the wilderness again, they've got this pillar of fire by night. And when that pillar moved, guess what? God's people moved with it. They had to follow it. And that's how you know whether or not Jesus is your light. Are you following him or not? If you're not following him, it's nice that he says he's the light. Maybe that makes for a nice you know, nativity scene or you know, pleasant things at Christmas that you enjoy. But, but if you're not following him, he's not really your light. You've, you've found your own you know, way to work out life and you're following your own light in a sense, but it's really just darkness. It's just another form of darkness. So the way that you know that you believe Jesus when he says he's the light is that you trust him to take your sins away. You trust what he did on the cross to be for you and that you then determine I'm going to do my best, you know, fits and starts, nobody does it perfectly, but he's going to be my light from now on. And I'm going to measure every other, you know, truth and revelation according to his light. And, you know, he's going to be the authority and so on. You know, so it's impossible to, to say that Jesus is your light if you're not determined to follow him. Nobody does it perfectly, but if you're here and you don't have him as your light, then you don't know him personally. You're still in darkness, but you can follow him. Anybody can determine that they're going to follow him by saying he is my light and to believe in him and to cast your sins on him and receive from him that credit, that, that payment of that bill that you can't pay. And that's how we know that we are not in the dark anymore. Look to him, embrace him as your light, as, your revelation, as God's revelation, protection, and provision to you. The rest of us, if, um, if you've already stepped over that line, if Jesus is your light and you're here going, you know, amen to all of the above, let me ask you something else. There's a third category of beings that are not nocturnal, nor are they diurnal. Uh, they're the type that come out in the, in the in-between times, the twilight time. And if you didn't know the word diurnal, you know, bonus triple word play on your Scrabble, you know, game next time, here's another fun word. What do you call the animals that come out at twilight? Like the deer and the bears and whatever that come out when it's dusk, the in-between time. They're crepuscular. That's a cool word crepuscular. Did you know that that's, that's us? We're in this crepuscular place, this in-between place where, yes, God's kingdom has come, Jesus' light has come, but it's not in all of its fullness yet. It's not daylight all the time yet. And we live in this place where we're constantly making this choice between the light and the night. And, and what am I going to do? Am I going to Am I going to embrace what's good and what's loving and beautiful, or am I going to turn my back on that and embrace what's sort of sinful and selfish and so on, right? So as those who have determined, I want to follow Jesus, he is my light, good for you. Now we need to live consistently with that the best we can. And that means choosing hope, choosing the light, choosing forgiveness, even when you don't feel like forgiving. You know, yeah, you're in this in-between. You can, you can feel the darkness, but you can also see the light, and I'm going to choose what's light, even if I don't feel like it. I'm going to choose obedience. Uh, I'm going to choose patience. I'm going to choose love, even if I'm not feeling it. Because that's what you do when you don't have the fullness of the light. You do it by faith. And we repent of the ways that we have still chosen darkness instead of the daylight. Like we're gonna, I mean, times when we chose bitterness instead of forgiveness or indifference instead of love or selfishness instead of service. We were, we're gonna embrace this grace of Jesus who says that's forgiven. You can be honest about your sin, repent of that sin, ask for forgiveness for the places where we've been bitter and, you know, unforgiving and selfish. Jesus loves us and he serves us. We, we can't forget even though we're kind of in this crepuscular place, like we can't forget that Jesus is our light. I was helping out um, Michael the other day, uh, you know, it was Thanksgiving and we'd made some travels and he wasn't working and so his car was in the driveway for a few days and he hadn't gone anywhere. And he goes out to, to go to work the, the next day, this past Monday I think it was, or Tuesday it was, and his car wouldn't start. Um, and we called the roadside assistance, it was like two in the afternoon, and they still hadn't come, and it was 7.30 at night. And we're like, all right, well, this isn't happening. Uh, and, and roadside assistance had failed miserably. Um, and so I go out and it's cold, and I got my hat on, and we're under the hood, and I'm pulling the battery, and we're gonna take it to, to the auto place, and then we, you know, they're gonna test it for us. And sure enough, his battery's dead. And we bring the battery back home, stick it in, in the car, and I can't see what's going on, and I'm kinda telling Michael, right, turn the light, you know, he's got his phone. Point the light this way. no over here, and all the while, you know, I'm kind of giving him a hard time for, you know, the angle of the line when his phone, and I forget. I've got this cool dad cap, you know, with the... Is it turning on? Really? I'm pushing the button, and it's not turning on? Like my bulletin insert. Anyway... Um, Imagine a really, really bright beam of light shooting right out of my forehead uh, and illuminating the battery and underneath the hood. And you kind of go, you know, we just forget. We forget. We belong to the day. So I just want to tell you as we move to the Lord's table here in a second, look, come, come with whatever baggage you're carrying, remembering the light. He loves us, he forgives us, he saves us, he provides for us, he protects us. And it's all about grace. If you're in Christ, if He's your light, then that blessing, that ancient blessing, applies to you today. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord, make the light of His face to shine upon you. The Lord, lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Let's pray. Lord thank you for the ways that you love us and care for us and save us, how you've revealed who you are to us. We're not groping about in the dark, looking for something to make sense of our lives and of eternity, but we have Jesus, the light of the world, to protect us and to provide for us, ultimately to take on our darkness and to save us. Lord, I pray for any here who have, who have not yet begun following him. Please um, shine your light into their hearts. Give them, give them even now the, that faith and that repentance to begin following him. And Or for the rest of us sort of scratching around in our crepuscular places, uh, Lord, would you help us to choose the light instead of the dark? Every day, uh, every moment, help us to choose what's loving, what's forgiving, what's patient and kind and gentle and caring and truthful. And Lord, would you make that true for all of us here um, who, especially during this season...